love that intro. It gets me all pumped up to uh, speak to you today. But we are continuing our series, and I'm coming over to our mural because it's beginning to take shape as we've been going through the entire flow of Scripture, the salvation story of Scripture. That, um, of course, there's lots of details, and sometimes we get uh, a story here and there, and we're not quite sure where it fits into the whole narrative. But the Scripture as a whole tells the salvation story for all of us, and it's important and it's helpful for us to understand kind of how it all fits together. And so in our first week, we talked about creation and we talked about how God said it is good. But in our second week, uh, we see that sin enters the world. And it was that week where our painting, we kind of destroyed it. But over the course of time, what God does, like a uh, the restoration project that he does, he begins to peel away and work on making the picture back into what he intended it from the beginning. And so, so it, our, our image is starting to be revealed through the nation of Israel. God calls them and paves the way, of course, to the pivot point in all of human history and in the scripture that we're at today. The life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so that's kind of how the story is unfolding. We get two more weeks as the Bible kind of gives us this grand picture of what God is doing in this world. And so this is kind of where we've gone so far. And I want you to kind of engage with me and uh, read this with us as we kind of summarize the series as we've gone so far. Here it is. God, the world you created is good. Out of nothingness, you spoke life into being, breathing into us the breath of life. You created mankind in your own image. Yet our sin has stained your creation, bringing broken relationships, pain, toil, and death. In your mercy, you intervened. We were enslaved by sin, but you came and spoke words of life. Despite our rebellion, you never gave up on your people. God, give us strength to be a part of this epic story. All right, that was a little weak from the crowd there, okay? Uh, but, okay, we're going to get more into it here. Um, so this is, uh, where we left off is an incredible time of frustration. We're kind of making that big transition from the Old Testament to the New Testament. And the Old Testament, as I shared last week, was this time of frustration. And there was all this up and down. And people were, were, were close to God for a moment, but it didn't last long. And then they went away very, very quickly. And there was all these figures throughout the story that were a part of what God was doing. God comes to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. God calls Moses to help pe the people out of slavery, out of Egypt. God uses the judges the kings and the prophets to kind of proclaim his word and try to get people on the right track. But all of it, all of it was insufficient. And it was all frustrating because it didn't really solve the problem. And in fact, one of the things that is the continual theme throughout the Old Testament is it talks about how sin equals death. And that's what was proclaimed in the beginning of the story. It says, you know, do not sin, you will surely die. 
And all throughout the Old Testament, the consequence and the literal physical consequence that people had to face and grapple with as the people of God is when they sinned, it required death. It personally, yes, but actually a sacrifice. And so all throughout the scripture, we see all these these. These images and these pictures of worship surrounding the temple where they come and they bring their sacrifice to the priest. And the priest sacrifices the animal on their behalf and it demonstrates the pain and uh, difficulty of sin. And, you know, I think because we don't live in that culture and society and that era, sometimes we're a little bit distant from the consequence and the sting of sin. But imagine going and having to give up some of your livelihood to deal with the sin that, that, that you undoubtedly have. Imagine going to the priest and, and as we gather together, offering your sacrifice and knowing this is going to cost me something. And as we read through the Old Testament, especially to our modern ears, it just seems kind of, man, it seems like a lot of endless, unnecessary violence and death. That over and over, all these people are just sacrificed over and over. And guess what? They sin again and they have to go back and do it all over again. What a terrible situation. But... There's something that is going on and something that is brewing and something that that is the thread throughout Scripture that we're starting to understand as the prophets are foretelling that there will be a time and there will be a day where the Messiah will come and things will change. Everything will be different because everybody in that day and time must have known and realized this isn't this isn't very this isn't working. People are not following through. And there's just, there's just endless death over and over. And it doesn't seem to be changing a lot. And throughout the Old Testament, you see these pictures of frustration. Sometimes in the Psalms, you see people crying out to God saying, God, what in the world is going on? And they're hoping and waiting for the promise that we hear that someday the Messiah will come. And take away all the sins of the world. And so um, throughout the Old Testament, and we mentioned it last week, there's all of the prophetic words about what is to come. What uh, as they're looking and searching for the Savior in Isaiah 53, it says in describing the Messiah, it says he was pierced for our transgression. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him. And by his wounds, we are healed. We all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way. And the Lord has laid on him the inequity of us all. So it's giving us a picture and a look forward that this is not going to be the picture now and forever. That there is the Messiah that is coming that will take away the sins of the world. There will be for us the, the payment for all of our sins and all of our iniquities. And it uses the language of sheep 
And it uses kind of the sacrificial language. And it points to something else. And then we have Jesus that comes upon the scenes. And it's profound. And we, we um, maybe you know, move too quickly sometimes to the New Testament. And don't recognize the impact and the amazing things that took place surrounding Jesus' life. And all the backstory that took place to get him there. But Jesus understood it very well as he showed up on the scenes. And in one portion of scripture, he, would, he showed up to the Jewish synagogue, opened up the scriptures to I, the book of Isaiah. Just the same book, same prophet that we just read from. He opened up to Isaiah 61 and he said, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me and has given me power to give sight to the blind and to uh, um, set people free. And that's how Jesus proclaims himself. And then all throughout the New Testament and the, and the Gospels, we see the people beginning to recognize and see that all that they've been hoping for, searching for, and waiting for comes to pass in the life of Jesus Christ. There's prophecies about how the Messiah, where the Messiah will be born, how the Messiah will be born, what lineage he, uh, the Messiah will come from, what his life will be like, what his death will be like, just like we just read in the book of Isaiah. And it all pointed to, and Jesus proclaimed, said, this is coming to pass. And this is happening. So, um, this is an important part of the story that we look at the fact that Jesus is uh, the thread that runs through all of human history and finally brings it to the full conclusion. Jesus is the answer. Also in the New Testament, it talks about Jesus as the second Adam. And that's appropriate for our conversation as we look through the whole scriptures. That we realize and we know that the first Adam failed and sinned and disobeyed God. But the scripture is pointing us to the second Adam, Jesus, who is the exact opposite, who doesn't sin, who doesn't fail, who doesn't, you know, fall into all these traps that destroys and instead redeems. And then you see in the life of Jesus pictures of the nation of Israel. He starts his, he starts his life by being exiled into Egypt with his parents, just like the Israelites were. He then comes out of Egypt and be, uh, later starts his ministry. Uh, when he starts his ministry, he starts with 40 days in the wilderness, mirroring the 40 years that the Israelites spent wandering. And then he comes out and he's, he goes and he's baptized in the waters. That like reminds us and points us to, you know, the crossing of the Red Sea. And all these pictures over and over that are showing us that what happened before wasn't good enough, but now it's coming to work. It's going to work. See, because what happened before was reliant on human efforts and humans, human beings like Adam who were failures and couldn't live up to God's standard. But what happens here, which can only be done through the person of Jesus Christ, is... The fulfillment of what should have happened in the beginning. Only through God can this take place.
place. All of the human efforts and failings in the Old Testament point us to the reality that we can't solve the problem of sin on our own. That we need an intervention from God. That we need God to show up and God to make what has gone wrong right. And so we see all this backstory and all these pictures and all these stories. And like I told you, sometimes the Old Testament is confusing and messy. And then Jesus comes and brings clarity. And there's so many different things that, you know, he he goes along in his life and he teaches these profound things that open up our eyes as to what God is doing. He does his, his famous amazing Sermon on the Mount. Where he goes through and he he talks about portions of the Old Testament, but he helps explain and helps us to understand what God is trying to do. How God is trying to move people. But the fact that it hasn't been working because of all the human failure. And he, he, he he gives us incredible principles. Like, you know, love your neighbor, love God. He summarizes the scripture in these ways and he points to and helps us understand what God has been doing from the beginning. And then as you look at his life, his actions are profound as he goes and he goes to other places beyond the nation of Israel. He goes and does stuff like talking to a Samaritan woman and says, you know what, you you too can be. Forgiven of your sins. He goes out beyond the walls of the nation of Israel. He goes and he he gives sight to a blind man named Bartimaeus. Just like the scripture said, he'd give sight to the blind. He walks with his disciples and he he mentors them along. His 12 disciples that mirror the 12 nations of Israel from, from the Old Testament story. And he, he does all of these things and demonstrates what the words on the page in the Old Testament can't fully, uh, that fully cannot comprehend or grasp. And he gives us a fuller, complete picture of who God really is. And this is uh, his actions and his life help us uh, make what is unclear and, and confusing and difficult crystal clear and guess what happens is there's lots of people all throughout jesus's life that are completely and totally confused and thrown off by jesus because he's so otherworldly in the way he approaches all of these things people are like hang on a second i there's all these other pictures that we have in the past how about this how about this and they're getting so focused on that and jesus Flips everything upside down and says, you know what? This, it's, it is a new day and a new time. Dramatically, before Jesus' death, he goes and he flips over the tables that are selling sacrifices. That are selling to make a profit those sacrifices to fill, uh, forgive people. It says he flips them over and almost... In an amazing, profound way, uh, says, this is not the answer. And this ultimately will not be how you find your salvation. 
And, and he does all of these things, and it's confusing, and it's hard, and it flips everything upside down. Because previously and before, people stumbled along and struggled along. But now Jesus was going to clearly point the way. And so this is Jesus' life was something that God demonstrated, and God is truly with us. The first chapter in the book of John, and if you want to, of course, we're talking about the section of Scripture, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, Luke and John, which detail the life of Jesus and really look back on the Old Testament fulfillment of the life of Jesus. But the first chapter of the book of John opens up by explaining to us that Jesus was there from the very beginning. When, they, when God said, let there be light, Jesus was there. You understand all of this that preceded it, all of the, all of the insufficiency of the system of the Old Testament now can only be fulfilled by God showing up in human flesh. By God coming and doing what can't be done by human efforts or hands. And it gives us this picture and this reality. And that is, it shakes up and changes and transforms all of the people's structures on how they're trying to pursue God and they're failing. And, they're not make, and it's not coming together. And it demonstrates God is with us. It's interesting if you want to think about uh, how profound this statement is. God with us. God showing up. God finally intervening in a way that no one else can intervene. Is, you know, we, we a lot of times, we wish that things were better in other places. I remember I've made a couple of trips to third world countries on like missions trips and I wanted to help out and other, you know, other people wanted to help out. And so you, you go and you save up some money and you, you get some stuff together and you go for about a week to a place like, you know, I, I, I've been to Guatemala and I've been to uh, Hun, uh, Haiti and, and these places you go there for a while and you're like, hey, you know, I'm going to come for a little bit and help out and then I'm going to go back home and be uh, in the comforts of my own life. Jesus shows up and is there on our terms, on our turf. Jesus shows up to the greatest missions trip that has ever been. He comes from heaven to earth. And he comes and he shows up and he gets involved. And sometimes we send well wishes to in other places of the earth, but really when the rubber meets the road and you show up and you live among and hang out, that shows something different and something profound. I remember growing up and one of the kids in my youth group, she used to say, someday I'm going to go and I'm going to go and live in China. And I was like, wow, that's something. And I kind of was skeptical about that. But when she turned 18, she, uh, gathered resources together and figured it out and has spent the last 20 plus years living in China, learning Chinese and supporting the church right there. There's a difference between saying, I wish you well and showing up. And that's what God does. And God shows up on the scene and is with us. 
and walks among us and is involved and all of the mess and all of the craziness that transpired before God shows up right in the middle of it and says, here I am. I am the fulfillment, all the struggle, all the pain that has gone in the past. You can't do it alone, but I'm going to do something in my life. The life of Jesus demonstrates more than anything else how much God incredibly cares about us. And then we see what the mission of Jesus' life was. Because Jesus' life accomplishes something that was foretold all throughout the scripture. It does something that only God can do. His legacy, what he leaves behind, and what it shows us about all of the scripture is really why he came to earth. We look at all the pictures of the Old Testament, the priests, the sacrifices, all of these things that took place that were insufficient. But in Mark 15, as Jesus is breathing his last breath, we see what Jesus' life was all about. It says this, with a loud cry, Jesus breathed his last, and the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. And when the centurion who stood there in front of Jesus saw how he died, he said, surely this man was the son of God. You know, it's, it's interesting. There's all these, all these things that happen at that moment and that kind of center point in our mural and all of history. Is that at that moment, Jesus, in one of the, uh, one of the gospels that records it, he says, it is finished as he breathes his last breath. It is done. The sacrifice has been paid. And you see the picture in Mark that it shows us is that the temple where they offered the sacrifices, where they showed up time and time again to give their sheep offering for the sins that they've committed, to try to deal with all of the, the fact that they cannot follow God fully and they have to deal with that, is torn in two and opened up and symbolically saying, you know what, the sacrifice has been paid and this is finished. It is done. Through me, only the God of the universe, my sacrifice, could this be accomplished. And so the, the life of Jesus, the life, death, and of course, resurrection of Jesus, which demonstrates the power of God over sin and death, is the, the focal point of all of Scripture. And it's the point that makes everything make sense and clear. You know, I love how the book of Romans kind of goes through point by point and summarizes the entire life of Jesus. As uh, Paul kind of writes later, and he gives kind of the biggest theological book in all of the Bible. He just kind of goes through point by point and says, this is what Jesus' life accomplishes. And so I want to just kind of bullet point through that, and you can look at those later on. As it says in Romans 3.10, everyone has sinned, and that we understand. And, this, and we understand that in the story, and we understand our part in that. Um, in, in Romans 3.23, it talks about us falling short of God's glory or God's holiness. All have sinned, so we fall short of the glory of God as a result of our sin 
We are not living up to God's standards. We are destroying the world, just like we talked about personally and corporately. And in Romans 5 it says, God's, in God's love, he sent Jesus to earth. In God's love, he sent an answer to all of our solutions and problems that would be fulfilled on the person of Jesus. In 623, it talks about the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. The consequence of sin is death. However, God's gift, God's uh, offering, God's sacrifice, God's grace, something that we don't deserve through the life of Jesus Christ, through the death of Jesus Christ, um, we can be saved. And then in chapters 10, it talks about if you confess with your mouth and believe that Jesus uh, uh, died and rose again, that you can be saved. For it is by, you know, we, we confess with our mouth, we are justified, we are forgiven, God shows up, and God redeems. And so, that's the summary, really, of kind of the whole picture throughout Scripture. Do you understand that Jesus doesn't show up in a void, or, you know, just kind of show up out of the middle of nowhere? Jesus shows up and is the sacrifice. Jesus shows up and is the second Adam. Jesus shows up and does what only God can do. As I reflect on the whole story, uh, in our Bible study group, I was kind of giving people a, uh, something to mull over. I said, you know, what happened if there was never sin that entered the world? You know, what happened? And, you know, wouldn't that be wonderful? And sometimes we think about, we we would like to, you know, kind of make an alternate reality and think about how wonderful the world would be without any sin. And that would be great. And, and the scripture tells us that it was our sin, our choice, that brought sin into the world. However, something else that we have to reflect on is would we truly understand the love of God if it wasn't for God intervening in this way? If you're never lost, do you fully appreciate being found? And the scripture gives us this story that God is willing to go to whatever lengths to snatch us out of, you know, the horrors that we're in. To bring us out of the slavery that we've put ourselves in. To come to earth on our terms and bring heaven to earth and save us. And so the incredible part of this story is that I don't know if we would truly understand, reflect, or know the love of God without understanding the lengths that God went to to show up and to be here with us. So the legacy of Jesus, of course, is our hope. It's what the whole scripture kind of rises and falls on. And the person of Jesus Christ is what really kind of our faith rises and falls on. Is that all the other things that sometimes are confusing our heart, we need to point to. And really the one question we have to answer for ourselves is, 
Who's Jesus to us? Do we recognize that Jesus is the God of the universe that did what only God can do? Do we recognize and believe and put our faith in the fact that it's only Jesus that is our sacrifice for our sins? Do we recognize and believe that without God's intervention and God showing up, that we are hopelessly lost in sin? And so as, you know, we, we come up even to the Easter season and we proclaim these things, and many people are, you know, kind of, maybe they roll their eyes because they've heard the story over and over and say, okay, you know, I, I don't know if I embrace that. We have to focus on this pivot point in all of history and say, what do you say about Jesus? Because that's what it all comes down to. What do you say about Jesus? Who is Jesus? And what does that mean for my life? Romans gives us the path and shows us what it is. That without, without Jesus' intervention, we're hopeless and lost. But Jesus, by being God that came to earth, can do what only God can do. I want to take a moment to pray. So if you bow your heads with me. But I don't want to finish on that note. I want to take a second to reflect. Because really the story of Scripture, the whole story of Scripture paints a picture of rebellion, running away from God, not destroying God's creation. But the, the story turns very quickly and very simply by us humbling ourselves Recognizing the sin that is enslaving us. Saying, God, forgive. God, help me. God, intervene. God, show up in my life right here, right now. And just like Jesus shows up to be the center point of the story of Scripture. He shows up to us. And when we call on his name and cry out for his help, he is right there. thank God that we don't have to uh, endlessly go through those cycles of sacrifice and repentance and not quite being fulfilled. But instead, God has shown up and demonstrated what he was doing all along. That it is finished. The sacrifice has been paid. So today, humble your heart. Recognize the weight of sin and the destructive nature of it. 
and cry out to God to save you. For some of us, maybe it's something long overdue, and other of, others of us, we've prayed that prayer hundreds of times, but it's still just as appropriate for us to recognize and confess and cry out and say, God, help me. I can't do it on my own. I invite you just to offer your own prayers to God. Cry out to the Savior of the universe. Cry out to the Messiah. Cry out to the high priest. Cry out to the second Adam, the only one that can take away the sins of the world. Say, God, intervene. Show up in my life right here, right now.